The Cultural Interface. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Soil and Human Health. It's 2021, well into this new year, and I'm back with a new batch of musings and social commentary. You might notice that these recordings are exhibiting signs of good production. I have Rory Allen, sound engineer, to thank for this. I hope you enjoy what follows. I read Poor Fella My Country by Xavier Herbert probably 40 years ago. While a lot of the details are gone, there's a scene that's been imprinted on my mind. A character in this book is a tribal man from the Northern Territory, an elder. He's given the chance to be a passenger in a small plane. As the pilot steers them into the sky, this old fellow chuckles with absolute glee and satisfaction as he looks over his country. The reader understands that although he's never been in a plane before, this old man knows what it is to see his country from the sky. To him, the plane is another tool, in this case an excellent whitefella tool, that can give him access to knowledge he already has. Now, this story came to me recently as it struck me that this is an illustration of someone standing firmly within the framework of their own culture, using the tools of a completely different culture to complement and expand on knowledge they already possess. Using today's language, this is a cultural interface, place that can be dynamic and alive, where two cultures meet. I have to add that the non-Aboriginal characters involved probably didn't understand that this was an intersect, or that there was a place from which they could have found out something about high-end Indigenous knowledge systems. A missed opportunity. I was reminded of this story when I started exploring the work by Tyson Yunkaporter, member of the Appalachian clan in far north Queensland and an academic, arts critic and researcher. I first encountered Tyson in his book Sand Talk and then found research papers he's written that can be accessed online. One of the papers I was looking at from Tyson's work is about creating an Aboriginal pedagogy, a way of learning that can frame, in this case, school curriculums, enabling a way to learn from culture rather than about culture. I reckon to be introduced to a kinship and place-based system of thinking would be great for kids, for all kids, and would begin to help foster a language of relationship rather than separation to the natural world that we live in and the ecosystems that support our lives. Tyson's contention is that although cultural knowledge has been severely disrupted, Indigenous knowledge systems are still strong and have a lot to offer Western thinking. So he set up a project in a rural town where traditional local knowledge, non-local and contemporary local knowledge intersect in the space he calls the cultural interface. The project has its bumpy moments, but the mainly Indigenous kids respond with real enthusiasm when given a framework that ties into cultural practices, and the teachers, mainly non-Indigenous, are given a chance to expand the way they look at life. 
it's really obvious to me that there are congruencies between what I'm learning in my apprenticeship as an advocate for regenerative agricultural practices and what I understand of land management custodial practices common to First Nations people. How to bring them together. School curriculums aside, my contention is how can we frame advances in farming in a way that allows high-end Indigenous knowledge to move out of the shadows and take centre stage as a system of land management that is on a par with Western systems? Well, respect, developing trust between all knowledge systems, there's a start. And part of the way that could be earned is if collaborations across cultures were structured in a way that were not always framed within Western ways of thinking, leaving Indigenous knowledge as a peripheral side issue. There's plenty of stuff to discuss. Cultural burning, for one. Can we really afford to burn country as the Aboriginal people once did? In agricultural land, this doesn't feel like the way to go. To me, burning country feels like the agricultural version of the current medical regimes for cancer. First the surgery, then the chemo, then the burn, where the concentration is on destroying diseased cells rather than supporting what is healthy and whole in the body. Are there places where burning country would work to reduce fuel load and trigger regrowth? Can we have this discussion, please? And then there are the voices ranging around the latest iterations of intensive grazing, using mobs of animals as tools of landscape regeneration. So many of us, both Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal, have been used to thinking of sheep and cattle, introduced stock, as destroyers of the land. It is hard to get one's head around the idea of mobs of grazers as being the salvation of our brittle landscapes. But I've changed my ideas on this one. This is a discussion that really needs to be thrashed out in the public sphere. Tyson defines the dreaming, a term he prefers to the dream time. The dreaming refers to the continuous act of creation in the present as well as the past, a dynamic interaction between the physical and spiritual worlds. The action allows us, First Nations people, to innovate and is the source of our immense adaptive capacity and ingenuity. During the long research period that was the basis for this thesis, Tyson describes a car ride with an elder where they talked about bringing Aboriginal ways of thinking into a school curriculum, and this is why I defined the dreaming. On this particular day, Tyson recorded this in his field notes. And we talked for a while about the way the dreaming does not change, how we just keep discovering more about it. And he goes on to say that, The key is to understand Western curriculum knowledge as undiscovered aspects of the dreaming and so own it and use it. So he's positing knowledge as something that is unchangingly there and is there for us to uncover. This way of understanding knowledge is not hierarchical. It doesn't privilege one way of thinking over another, but provides a pathway to understanding and incorporating cultural difference.
In Tyson's case, he looks at the Western intellectual perspective as it plays out in the school curriculum, while standing firmly in his own cultural understanding of the world. Seeing both, he's able to adapt strategies and tools to help bring new understandings to the fore. Indigenous knowledge then stands as strong as the Western philosophical framework. Indigenous people have had to learn everything they can about non-Aboriginal systems to survive, as is always the way for people struggling for a voice within a dominant culture. It's time non-Aboriginal systems learnt to listen to First Nations people. I anticipate it will be the making of us. So the dreaming doesn't change, we just keep discovering more about it. The old man's words match what I've learnt over the last three years of involvement with land management systems. The biological approach to farming is taking up a lot of space in Western agricultural thinking. So we can now acknowledge that the diversity and health of microbial life in the soil is the key to well-functioning soil. And I've grown to understand that soil is to the earth as the gut is to the human body. And I've been playing catch-up in microbial science and ecosystem understanding. The thinking that is emerging around the role of mycorrhizal fungi and the huge underground networks that support forests of plants is turning science and land management practice on its head. Well, it should be. What's becoming clear is we don't know. We simply don't know the half of how ecosystems function at their deepest levels. Science, like me, is playing catch-up to the best of the regenerative farmers. And the regenerative farmers now have much more in common with the old man in the car than they do with the powers that be in the agricultural institutes in some aspects. But these regen mavericks can't explain it all, and listening to people like Di Haggerty, successful WA regen farmer, That is part of the learning. Di suggests that not understanding it all and remaining humble in the face of nature's intelligence and power is a big part of the deal. By trial and error and painstaking experimentation, regenerative producers are discovering deep realities about how ecosystems function, uncovering knowledge that has always been there. Now, the untold mysteries of nature are not a place where we need to go all mystical or start talking magic language. It is enough to say there's a lot we don't know, and we can no longer dismiss Indigenous knowledge as instinct or magical thinking, simply won't cut it anymore. We now know that Indigenous systems are geared to practical actions and maintenance regimes that strengthen the relationships between all living things. From where I'm looking, the place where high-end knowledge from an Aboriginal elder might meet the best mavericks in the farming and ag scientific zone is not a place of magic. It's a practical place of about bloody time. Eventually, science will catch up. The ships will turn. New orthodoxies will arise that will become baked on institutional certainties that will need, in their turn, to be overthrown in the light of new knowledge uncovered by the mavericks to come. Here's another quote from Tyson's thesis. 
When higher order knowledge from Indigenous systems is brought alongside the equivalent from Western systems, the deeper the knowledge, the more common ground is found across cultures. And I should add at this point that the corollary to this is the shallower the knowledge, the more difference is found between cultures. That should inspire us to challenge our cultural assumptions. You know, the ones we took in with our rusks and don't even know that are driving our actions. We need to start listening to what other perspectives we can hold up to the light. (laughs) 